0: Listen to the word of the Lord. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This is includes you. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body and as a result He has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. If I could arrange my thoughts on this couple of verses this morning, it would be problem, solution, results, implications. So let's start with the problem. You were once far away from God, and you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. This is Paul saying the fall is still falling. The fall is not a story of something Adam and Eve did, but a story of what is real and true in every single human life. It's not, it's not about whether you grew up in church or not. You grow up in church, but this is still your truth. You grow up out of church, and this is still your truth. The reality is that naturally we are enemies of God. We are alienated from God. We are separated from God. There is is something within us that does not orient, posture in a heart of affection and adoration and love and connection and trust to God. Notice it doesn't say that God was our enemy. Notice it doesn't say that the problem was on God's end. What it says is that we, because of the sin involved in our heart, we were enemies of God, not God was enemies of us. Notice that in the fall narrative in Genesis 3, God shows up on schedule as usual and says, Where are you? God shows up on schedule. The problem's not on his end. He shows up and he says, Adam, where are you? And his first question immediately, have you eaten of the tree I commanded you not to eat of? And see, we all have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We all have taken into ourselves a view of God, self, and others where we are viewing the world through broken lenses. When we're made in the beginning, we're made to view ourselves through the reflective mirror of His loving eyes in a face-to-face relationship. The only mirror we're meant to see ourselves through is the mirror of our reflection in our Father's eyes. But instead, when the tree of the knowledge of evil has had its effect on our minds, we now evaluate ourselves, not as holy and blameless, not as in His presence without a single fault, but instead we, we evaluate ourselves ourselves And we say, oh no. And we pull away from him and we cover, we try to cover up what we see, but we don't see ourselves as he does. And then our lives become independent. We move from trust to self. We move away from trust and into self. And now, because I see me differently, I have to cover up what I see. I don't like what I see and I have to cover up what I see. Most people live our lives fighting to make clothing to cover our shame. Whether it's our career or our relationships or our religion or our exploits or our romance or our hobbies or the way we dress or the groups we associate with, we're trying to find some identity so that we will have some kind of covered self. And, and this affects every single one. And, and the, the, out, the outcome is we've been severed from his affection and we become less than loved. Romans 1 talks about this, 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 this de-sanctification process. And as I'm just looking around at our culture, where up is down and light is dark and... Evil is good, and good is evil. And it seems like most people seem mad about most things most of the time. You just read Romans 1 and you go, oh yeah, that's happening. And it's all, and and Paul connects the dots. Once you disconnect from the love of the Father, this thing starts to go down a progression of we become like what we worship, and we become like what we worship. And Paul's saying, look, every single one of us has lived there. Every single one of us has lived there in the self-salvation project of me in charge of me. And then you could even go into your Bible and say, you know what? Rebellion and religion are actually subsets of attempting to find some clothing, to find a self, to shape out a life. To f- to other- Rebellion and religion... The younger son, the younger prodigal son who says, the heck with the father, I'm out. And the older son that says, well, no, not the heck with the father. I'm going to do everything that I can to do what's right by the father. You ask the younger son, but yeah, but do you love the father? He says, no, he's got me in prison. You say to to the older son, do you love the father? And he says, admittedly, no, he's got me in prison. So one person is in rebellion because... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil has taken its effect. And they're actually hostile and at enmity with God because of the brokenness. And the other one's in the house of God praying and trying to use doctrinal correctness and behavior, being the perfect, perfect Christian to, to replace the shame. To fix the problem, to make clothing for ourselves. Every one of us, every single one of us, the problem, the problem, every single one of us has postured ourselves as an enemy of God, but he has never postured himself as our enemy. Every single one of us, by our attitudes and by our actions, has proven it. Problem, solution. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself. Notice this. I sometimes think we have imagined the goal of the cross as to take us to a piece of geography at a point in time later. I don't know if that made sense. A place with golden streets sometime in the future is the goal of this cross. But this passage is intensely intimate and personal. The cross is about God bringing you back to connection, to -to face-to-face fellowship with him. That's what the cross is about. The cross brings you home to the Father. Yeah, heaven, when you die, that's awesome. That's byproduct. Home to the Father is the purpose reconciled back into relationship with this affection, with this adopting love. That is the purpose of this cross. That is the ache of the Father's heart. He has reconciled us to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. Jesus became everything we are so that we could become exactly as he is. And the church fathers puzzled with the incarnation for 300 years. For 300 years. If you read the early church fathers, you're like, do you have another topic you want to talk about besides the incarnation? And they go, no, sit down and shut up. And we, you go, why? Why are you so obsessed with that God became a man? And they go, because the heretics keep, Perverting it. And it's the gospel. And you go, What do you mean the incarnation is the gospel? I was told that the cross is the gospel. And they go, Listen, the cross is the end result of the incarnation. The, the incarnation is, is Jesus saying, I am going to fully inhabit what you are completely. I become one with you. So that when I die, you die. And when I rise, you rise, and that when I'm seated in heaven, you're seated in heaven, and that when I come before the presence of my father, you come before the presence of my father. I'm so going to identify with you, I will become you, and then Paul's meditating on this, and he says, oh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Oh, it's not about Adam and Eve. It's not about husband and wife. It's about Jesus leaving the Father in heaven and becoming fully one with us in the incarnation so that everything pertaining to God's people gets handled by Jesus. So he doesn't just do it for us. He does it as us so that the disobedience in the wilderness is is. Is, is turned around by his obedience. In the 40 years of disobedience, where God's son, Israel, got it wrong, Jesus gets it right in his 40 days in his wilderness. There's so many of these. Every, he takes up our story and in himself turns it around so that in his dying, our sin is dying. And not just the sins we committed. He does break the guilt of the sins we committed, but it is so much more than that. He breaks the actual power of sin itself. Do you notice this, right? It's, 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 it's peppered through your Bible where, where Paul in Romans 7 says of the man who's under the law but outside of Christ, he says, if I don't do what I want to do but I do the evil I don't want to do, then it's no longer I who does it, it's sin living in me. Sin is an active living power that's at work in us. Remember the problem? That was the problem. We're temples. We all like to think we're in charge of our lives, but we're actually temples. And we're inhabited by some kind of living force. And Paul says, the living force that is at work in someone who is religious but not in Christ, not surrendered to Christ, not relishing and savoring Christ. That is a person who they may be in church, but sin is living in them and through them. Romans 7.20, It is not I who do it, but sin living in me. And fast forward to Galatians 2.20, where he says, It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In his physical body, did he die to remove the guilt of sins? Yes, he did. But he also died to break the very living power of sin. And as the Orthodox would say, trampling down death by death. Because sin and death are a unified wicked power at work in the world. And Jesus takes on all that we are to defeat all that stands against our relationship with Abba. That's what's at stake. That's what he came to do. He came to take everything out of the way that stands between us and our relationship with Abba. So the, so the fathers are obsessed with the incarnation because if you break the incarnation, you break, you break the oneness And you make the cross powerless. Okay. Yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. Problem, solution, results. As a result, he has brought you who? The Father. Who masterminded this? The Father. Man, I'm telling you right now, I have heard so much preaching in my life that views Jesus as rescuing us from the Father. I have heard so much preaching in my life that has viewed the Father as filled with wrath and anger and Jesus jumping in front of the train of his anger and taking it all so that now God's no longer in a bad mood. But according to your Bible... It's God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son not to condemn the world but to save the world through him. It's the father is seeking worshipers. John 3, John 4. It's the Father who's in pursuit of us lost sons and daughters to bring us home back into the place of his affection, that he can relate to us and know us and pour out his light and life into our hearts, that we could be reconnected to the source, that we could find a real and stable identity in a world that's going mad, that we could shine like stars in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. It's the Father who masterminded this redemption plan Jesus isn't saving us from the Father. The Father is saving us from sin and death through Jesus. The results. He has brought you into his own presence. So that's the first result. He's brought you back. You were away from his presence, not because he wanted it, but because we didn't trust him. We walked away. He showed up on schedule. He's brought us into his his own presence. And then it says the following three things. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Here's the reality. The blood of Jesus has dealt with the guilt of your sin and the power of your sin and my sin But if we don't believe, if we don't receive, it cannot deal with the shame. Guilt is an objective reality in the sight of God. You do wrong, you deserve punishment. Shame is something we carry in relationship that causes us to shrink back. Jesus dealt with the guilt and the shame, but we got to put it on. But the application, the, the, the result is that as we come before the Lord, now that we're in Christ, as we come before the Lord, there is nothing between us. We're clean. We're pure. We're totally forgiven. We're brand new. There's no more beef. There's no more accusations. There's no more, well, I love you, but... There's no more transactional relationship like we do with each other. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'm mad at you until you prove this, that, and the other. That's all gone. The truths he speaks, the discipline he gives as a father, he gives as a father to a child that has nothing coming in between us. He's a different kind of person to relate to. And I'm telling you right now, If we let this in, it dramatically changes our identity. It dramatically changes our love. It dramatically changes our emotions. It dramatically changes our stability and our hope levels and our peace levels and our joy levels. If we let this in and we let his spirit apply this reality to the stuff in our mental landscape that still is living as though this isn't the truth, then we get free. He's already done everything, everything required for us to be 100% free. He's done everything required for us to abide in His love and live every day rejoicing and not really be that bothered. There's these beautiful examples through life of people who know whose they are and who they are. It's like my mom had this beautiful sentence that she said in that interview I did for Mother's Day. I wanted to do one for Father's Day, but my dad's got COVID so bad he can hardly talk. Keep praying for him. And there's more. The, uh, Tim McGill's friend, Carol, well, we know her, but she was taken off ventilator, by the way, which is really good, really good. That's rare. Sometimes you go on those ventilators, you don't come off them. So, But I wanted to do an interview with my dad too. But my mom said this thing, she said, Tim, I hope you children say of me when I die that the only two opinions I cared about, let's try two fingers for that, the only two opinions I cared about was God's and Norm's. And I was praying this morning, God, only your voice, only your opinion, only your opinion, only your opinion, only your opinion, the fear of the Lord God, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord God, the fear of the Lord. This gospel is meant... To bring us to the place where we stand before the Lord and we, we, are, we know what He knows. That He has made us faultless, holy. Holy meaning, I've been set apart, purified, and cleansed to be devoted 100% to divine use. You know God doesn't accept blemished lambs, right? He doesn't accept imperfect, broken sacrifices, right? So He has made us an unblemished sacrifice to himself. We didn't come to him that way, but he made us that way. Like I said, he died because we were unworthy, but because he died, he has made us worthy. We say things like, we can't do a thing without you, God, but but then we don't reckon with the reality that we're not without him. And you go, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And I go, that's absolute truth but we're not apart from Christ so we can do everything he's called us to. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you lived in the world without hope, but now you have a hope. Once you were enemies of God, but now you're God's children, and you're holy, and what else? Blameless in his sight. It's interesting how many of us are not blameless in our own sight because we haven't let the lord deal with it and without a single fault as we stand before him this is the gospel you guys this is the gospel that jesus has absolutely qualified us for this relationship and that nothing is standing in between us and the affection of the father the guidance of the father the adoption of the father the calling on your life of the father There's nothing on His end that's blocking the flow of the Spirit. And now, because of this being applied, there needs to be nothing on our end that's blocking the reception of His love, the reception of His blessing, the reception of His Spirit. Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you let it in? Do you let Him in? Problem, solution, results, applications. But you must continue, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. So here's what God's done, here's what's true, and you say, okay, well then the autopilot should take over, and he says, hold up, no. You must continue in it. You must lay hold of it. You must stand firmly on it. You must not change the subject. You must keep your attention here. And not let anything over here or over here shift you to this place. Remember last time we talked about the fullness of God was, is, is in, is, dwells bodily in Jesus and we're dealing with Colossians who can't handle the idea that it's all in Jesus and they have to leave Jesus behind and do some stuff in addition to Jesus. And now Paul's going, guys, you don't, you don't understand. You don't understand. The answer's in Jesus and he's given you the very thing that will root you in the Father. But you got to stay rooted in Jesus. You have to stay fixated on this. You need to, a single laser like focus on this and this alone. Because whatever gets your focus gets you. Whatever you dwell on grows bigger in your heart until it becomes a place from which you live. What you, what you are most aware of is what manifests in terms of the fruit of your life. And if we're not most aware of the Father's love, if the Father's love is not the thing that we're most aware of, then the fruit of our mouth and the attitudes of our heart and the actions of our life will speak something else. And it's called drift. Drift. In the time in which we now live when we're divided as a society on just about every level and the wickedness is actually increasing and the hearts are getting even harder and the camps are being drawn and we're told to join a camp to hate the other group. So complicated issues where love and empathy and compassion is the answer, things are simplified down into groups and camps and we're told to pick one and resent the other. Jesus said in the because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. What's the answer, guys? In this last, in this last gasp, Jesus envisions this, this, this church rising up when the love of most is growing cold. He envisions his church rising up in that context and the gospel being preached to the ends of the earth. How? How, how, can, you, how can you mobilize the troops when the temptation is to huddle down and wait for the return of Jesus? How can, you, how can you be the salt and light in community if the love of most has increased the wickedness, which means you're being sinned against more, and so the temptation, the natural response for all of us, is to allow sin against us to knock us off our gospel rooting and make us then defend ourselves and attack others because of what they've failed to see about us has now caused us to fail to see what he already said is true. And so now, though sin against us has created sin in us, and now the hardness of your heart has actually hardened my heart. And you can tell because the fruit of my lips is now accusation of you instead of glorification of Him. And so, in this hour, it is time to draw close to the love of the Father and stay rooted in this gospel. To stay rooted in this love, to stay rooted and grounded and not change the subject of our heart, not change the subject of our private thought life when no one is watching, not change the subject and get on with it, and just keep getting on with it, and just keep giving away Jesus, and just keep giving away more Jesus and just keep giving away more jesus and just keep giving away more jesus problem solution results implications i know most of us have like a heart that has layers and layers and layers and layers And no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, we realize there's still more He's healing. There's still more He's revealing. There's still more He's exposing and healing. There's still more that needs to change. And the way to allow that to happen is to let Him in deeper and to not change the subject. And so I don't care who you are or where you are, there's more love of God for you to be revealed. I don't care what you've done, you haven't done anything that's so strong as to be too big for the cross to deal with. And I don't care how hard you feel or how, heart, how hardened you've become through life. The love of God is still for you. It's still for you. And It's real. I love the story of John Wesley. He'd been preaching the gospel and fasting and giving money to the poor and trying so hard to live a life worthy of God. And he was on a ship with these (laughs) these, uh, (laughs) Moravian missionaries and in the midst of the storm with the massive waves threatening to kill everyone on board he was terrified and he looks over and these Moravians are singing songs to God. And he goes, what is y'all's deal? And they go, don't you know Jesus? And he goes, yeah. And they go, don't you know that Jesus died for the sins of the world? No, I'm sorry, I messed up the story. Don't you know Jesus died for you and that he loves you? And he says, well, I know that he died for the sins of the world. And they go, (laughs) but do you know he died for you? And he goes, repeat. Well, I know that he died for the sins of the world. I guess that includes me, so yes? Yes, but do you know his love? See, Paul says not to move from the assurance you received, not assurance you made, not assurance you chose, not assurance you put on yourself. It's when the news came to you, not advice. Hey, you really need to turn your life around and pray more hey, you really need to do this better. Hey, you know, this lifestyle that you're choosing is really not a good thing, and if you just... Not good advice. News. News. And when the news came, if you believed it, Holy Ghost came in with an assurance that it's real. I'm forgiven. I'm adopted. For me, it was really simple. I said, God... Me in charge of me is a disaster. Will you please take over? I don't know if you still want me. I wouldn't want me. But can you please come in and take over? And all of a sudden, a little peace just came through my body. And I knew the answer. That was his yes. You know what that's called? Romans 8 says, His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Guys, that's not a doctrinal conviction. That's not an idea. That's not something someone teaches that you sign off on and say, oh, that's my doctrine. I agree with that. That's what John Wesley had. He agreed with the doctrine. But You you and I don't need a list of papers that we agree with. We need a heart that has encountered a person that we have surrendered to and said, will you have me? I need you. Will you have me? you know, my advice is not to just tell you, go meditate on this scripture and that scripture. And, you know, you, you prayed the prayer, you signed the card, you came up to the front, you darkened the door of the church, I'm sure you're in. I had, a, I had a buddy who worked at the gas station called Cluckers Corner Market, and he made the chicken. And he said, my daughter is really struggling with, she thinks she's lost, she thinks she doesn't know God, she thinks if I die today, I don't know where I'll go. And and I'm going, shoot, man, if you, that means you don't know who, you li- who you're living with right now. Because the question about then is really revealing something about right now, is it not? You don't know your sins are forgiven now. You don't know you're adopted now. You're not experiencing fellowship with Father now. You're not experiencing a face-to-face relationship with the Father right now. Far be it from me to tell you a story about a bunch of ideas that are abstract to try to convince you that later will be okay when the reality of what you're living is revealing that you don't know Him. And yeah, she's in church, and yeah, she's going to Sunday school, and yeah, she's at the youth group, and yeah, she's singing the songs when we sing, but she doesn't know him. And don't doctrinally convince her of something that she needs a relationship for. So he said, but I told her that when she prayed the prayer and signed the card and went forward when the revivalists sang, gave the altar call that she was saved, and that's the end of it, and that settles it, dang it. And I said, well, you know what I would tell her, buddy? I would say, sweetheart, every single time, every single time, I don't care if you're in public, I don't care if you're in private, I don't care if you're at school, I don't care if you're at work, I don't care who's watching, every single time that fear comes on you, you say with your words out loud, Jesus, help me, save me. And he will. Because all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved not theoretical, not abstract, not doctrinal. He's real, he's a person. We're made to know him, we're made to experience him. And when the good news comes in, the assurance is received. Not crafted, not formulated, not drummed up in a youth meeting with a lot of emotion and telling the kids that they're real naughty and they need to sign a card. No, it's a daily living relationship I'm so much more concerned with what you do in daily life than what you do at a big gathering with loud speakers and emotional people talking into a mic. I'm so much more concerned with what you do in secret when no one's watching, with what you say to the Father when no one's looking. Problem, solution, results, application. Let's go ahead and stand. Pray with me. Father, I want to know you. I thank you that I am holy. I thank you that I am blameless. And I thank you that I am without a single fault. I believe what your son has done. I surrender to you and I open myself to you completely. Would you fill me afresh? Would you keep me rooted here?